Hi, I'm Dan Primack, and welcome to Axios Recap, presented by Google. Today is Thursday, December 3rd. Stimulus hopes are up, slightly. Jobless claims are down, slightly. And we're focused on the faces of COVID. More than 100,000 Americans are now hospitalized with coronavirus infections, a new record. And all expectations are that the number will continue to rise, particularly given last week's Thanksgiving holiday travel and gatherings. What that's going to mean is a lot more death. Yesterday, America lost 2,762 people, bringing the total pandemic toll to over 272,000 per the CDC. That's more than the entire population of Des Moines, Iowa, or of Baton Rouge, Louisiana, or Toledo, Ohio. By now, though, we've all become a bit numb to these numbers. 100,000 becomes 200,000 and soon will be 300,000. Another headline and we move on. But what must, simply must, be remembered is that these people are people, not statistics. Parents, children, best friends, colleagues, the most important person in someone else's life. So today we wanted to speak with Alex Goldstein, a former political spokesman who in March created a Twitter feed called Faces of COVID, which tells the world more about the specific lives lost, the stories behind the stats. That conversation in 15 seconds. We're joined now by Alex Goldstein, the creator of Faces of COVID and former spokesperson for Massachusetts Governor Deval Patrick and Congresswoman Ayanna Presley. So, Alex, why did you start Faces of COVID? I started it right really at the outset of the pandemic as things were starting to look really bad here in Boston and much of the East Coast. And initially it was really about my own personal catharsis. I was finding myself being kind of almost numbed out to the horror of the statistics that were coming across the airwaves early on. And for me to find a way to meaningfully connect with what was going on out there, I started to do some research and see who are the people behind these numbers and quickly found that a lot of reporters at the local level were doing a lot of amazing work um, highlighting these stories and ultimately created a platform to start to share those. I think mainly to sort of uplift the dignity of these people that are so much more than cold statistics. They really are, in so many cases, the center of so many people's world. And to reduce them to uh, statistics, I think, doesn't quite do it justice. So, Alex, I see the end product each day in my Twitter feed. But what's your process for creating this? It's heavy. I mean, you know, I have a day job, so it's late at night and early in the morning usually identifying stories from three primary places, either from confirmed news outlets that have covered the loss of somebody from COVID, obituaries in which a family has self-identified as having lost somebody to COVID in the obituary section, or more and more direct submissions from family members who send me stories about their loved ones and ask for me to share them. What's the engagement like with families? You know, when you find something in a local news report and then post it, how often does somebody, a friend or a family member reach out to you? You know, it's usually them reaching out in advance to ask that I share, although it's increasingly common where stories that I shared earlier in the summer and in the spring where somebody reached out to me the other day and said that they were having a really tough night. They had lost their father a month or two ago and Googled his name and up popped the link to the tweet. They had never even heard of Faces of COVID or what it was. And in that moment, it actually was meaningful to suddenly see their dad's face pop up and a little bit about their life show up on screen. And so, you know, I think in a moment where the grief and mourning of so many people across this country is a really isolated experience, you're not grieving communally with people as you might under normal circumstances, 
having this little moment to even virtually interact with a whole bunch of strangers who will affirm that your loved one meant something and um, that we've all lost something as a result of this, I think actually can be special for that little brief moment. Alex, you used to be a political communications guy. Are you surprised that it doesn't seem like these stories get told by politicians on either side of the aisle very often? Because this is the sort of thing that under traditional circumstances in a tragedy, politicians would be doing all the time. I think it's a huge missed opportunity, and I'd like to see more of it. I, there's been some folks who have. I think that a lot of times folks like to lean heavily on the data and statistics because it does tell a story. But I think it's hard to tell the full story of this moment and really relate it to people's lives if we're not centering the lived experiences of real people. And, you know, I think that also, by the way, happens to make much better policy and much better outcomes. I've been asking since the beginning of this pandemic how our decisions as a government might have looked different if every single member of Congress, every mayor, every governor had to spend an hour a week sitting across from somebody who had lost someone to COVID and having to look in their eyes and hear them talk about what they've been through, that maybe we would have made better decisions uh, as a community. And I think we have our own responsibility as members of community to ask that these stories be told because we've failed each other as well. And I think when we can see a real person behind those numbers, we will make better decisions, I hope. Um, and that's sort of part of the premise for pushing this forward all these months. Was there a moment where you started to think, I don't know, maybe over the summer, that you could soon retire this Twitter account and then you couldn't? I've been following a lot of the public health experts pretty closely since the beginning, and all of them had warned pretty consistently of a second surge that we could expect. In a lot of ways, the July and August surge, well, things were quieter here in Massachusetts. They were peaking elsewhere. And I don't know that we've ever really stopped surging. We've just been surging in different places, and now we're surging everywhere. And so I actually think that if anything, well, I didn't necessarily expect that it would go on this long at this rate of carnage out there. I do think I've sort of been feeling a lot lately that in a lot of ways doing this now is more important than ever because this is the moment where people are experiencing the most fatigue on this and they're experiencing fatigue at the worst possible moment, right? Where we're in our worst condition and yet we're two to three months away from fairly universal vaccine access. Alex, could you give us a story of someone you featured on the feed recently who's been particularly resonant for you? There was a story I did posted not too long ago from a woman who is a paramedic in New Jersey, and she shared a story about her father. And every single thing she described about her father, she had submitted it directly to me. And every single piece of his story reminded me of my own dad. My dad lives a mile away, pretty sick right now, and um, not with COVID. He's been fighting cancer for a long time. And it's something that um, has made this whole experience really challenging. And seeing and sharing the story of somebody that like literally could be my dad, similar age, same passions around civil rights and uh, politics. Her dad was a uh, you know Jewish guy who leaned heavily on his Jewish background and things like that. And I just literally, I saw my dad in the picture. I saw my dad in the story. And part of what this is about is getting people to see themselves in strangers and in doing so, maybe care a little bit more about each other. Alex, for you, what's this been like? I assume it's been emotionally draining to every day look up these stories. I can't say that it's been easier, although it sort of pales in comparison to what so many other people are experiencing out there. I think what gives me a lot of energy is that, first of all, I'm seeing a lot of goodness in response to what we post. I mean, the replies are not the sort of standard social media fare of abject hostility and toxicity. It's actually people being quite compassionate to each other. 
And, you know, I think additionally, the families that I submit on behalf of and or that I post stories on behalf of have been, you know, really gracious and grateful for the opportunity. And I think all of those makes it easy to remind myself why I'm doing this. Alex, thank you very much for joining us. I appreciate the time. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on. Welcome back. What we're watching today is Hong Kong, where 72-year-old media tycoon Jimmy Lai was denied bail before his April court hearing. Why it matters is that Lai is viewed by many as being punished by Beijing for his pro-democracy views as part of a larger crackdown on demonstration and dissent inside of Hong Kong. The charge? Illegal use of Lai's own newspaper office, claiming he used it for purposes different than what's laid out in his lease. Today, we're also watching the NASDAQ, which hit yet another all-time high. Why? Well, part of the increase is driven by mega outliers like Apple and Amazon and Tesla. But in general, it really seems that investors have put tech companies in two buckets. Those that have benefited from the pandemic due to trends like work from home and companies that will benefit once vaccines are widely distributed and the pandemic ends. In other words, heads I win, tails I win. And finally, Reuters reports that New York State is leading a group of more than 40 states that plan to file an antitrust complaint next week against Facebook. Although it's not yet known what the specific allegations will be, such as if they somehow involve Facebook's past acquisitions of Instagram and WhatsApp. It's also worth noting that as we are taping, Facebook did get sued by the U.S. Justice Department, not for antitrust, but for allegedly reserving high-paying jobs for immigrants rather than searching for U.S. workers. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. It's my producers, Tim Shovers, Naomi Shaven. Have a great, hey, it's Mark Shaven's birthday. Happy birthday. And we'll be back tomorrow with another Axios recap.